listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, great to be with you today. We're coming to the end of this series, which we've called Renew and Reform. Next week, can you believe it? We are kicking off Advent. It's such a strange year. It's like going fast and slow all at the same time. But next week, the journey towards Christmas begins. Britt will be uh, kicking that off for us next week. But it's my job today, Mark, if I haven't met you, to land this series, uh, which is really looking at the moves that God wants to make in the world at this time to renew us and to reform us, to empower us with His Spirit and to build up and, and strengthen Uh, what needs to be the carriers of His Spirit in the world at this moment. We are going to begin with God's Word. So I ask you to open your Bibles at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 11 to 17. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 to 17. Paul, the apostle here, is speaking to the church in Corinth. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though it was one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. This is a passage which is lots of temple language, but particularly focusing on part of the temple, the foundation, which is an essential part of any structure that ensures that it stays stable, that it can fulfill its purpose. And what we're going to do today is look at something which is absolutely foundational. If there's going to be renewal and there's going to be reforming, reforming is rebuilding and building needs a good foundation. And often when you get to this time of year in the church calendar and you begin to plan for the next year, this is something that now is my 19th year. Next year, can you believe it, is my 20th year here at this church. And we always get to this sort of end of year and you're planning. What does January look like? What does February? What are we going to preach you into the, preach into in the beginning of the new year? What things won't we bring across? What things will we instigate? There's always a sense of newness. You're a bit tired coming to the end of the year, but asking the question, what does God want to do in the new year? And there's always a rhythm with church. There's a sense that January, you get lots of people visiting. You always think, I always have this thing, oh, look, it kicks off later in January. But it's fascinating. The first couple of weeks in January, people turning up, people moving cities, looking for a new church. And so there's this pattern that the year predictably follows each year. But approaching this 20th year for me and 2021 for everyone 
it's a completely different experience coming to the end of this year, which has been unlike any other in ministry and looking forward to a year where it's actually really hard to plan. We don't know exactly what the new year looks like. Uh, recording this uh, at the moment, we've just hit a whole sequence of this is uh, double zeros donut days. And there's all kinds of possibilities. Does that mean that will trigger the point where we could possibly meet in person next year? We don't know what that looks like. Where so much is up in the air at the moment. So there's all the kinds of various details of what 2021 will look like for Red Church, for you, for me, for all of us in the whole of our lives. So much up in the air. But also, this is a really crucial time for the church full stop. I've had the opportunity, as we've thought forward, how to best prepare for next year to talk to people uh, all around the world. I've had the chance to speak to people in four different continents who have actually reopened their churches and to hear their experiences. I've also had the opportunity in the last few weeks to talk to experts uh, on church growth and what they're seeing the big trends are through research and also anecdotal evidence. And the thing that is happening in the world is that there is a profound change occurring at this point in time and that the post-COVID or COVID normal church, whatever you want to call it, is going to look very different to the church that we all paused sometime in March. Some of the stats that are going around, some leaders are estimating that between 30, some people saying it's around 30, other people are saying 50% of Christians are not going to come back to church. There has been a drop-off in some countries, and we're seeing some evidence of that in Australia. Uh, The stats out of the US, uh, which the Barna Group uh, have looked at, is that their estimation is that one in five churches will close their doors during the pandemic. Another stat from the US was that uh, between 70, there's a couple of people who you talk to, but somewhere between 70 to 80% of pastors, because of the pressure of trying to lead in this way, uh, that actually they are considering other employment. And being a pastor is too difficult in this environment. There are huge challenges for the church at this point in time. There are huge challenges as you look forward and you're not sure how to plan. Tom Rayner, who looks at um, various church trends, says in many ways what we're seeing during the pandemic is an acceleration of what was happening before. We've seen that in many things, the acceleration of digital, the acceleration of lots of trends that were play in the world, political polarization, regionalization. But what's happening is that the trends of people coming to church less and less, being more disengaged from church, have accelerated. Uh, Rainer talks about in this way. He says that he would regularly go to a beach every year and people there would tell him that the beach was slowly eroding. But every time he came to the beach, he could not see the evidence of that erosion coming back for his holiday every year. But then one year, there was a tremendous storm and the beach was completely washed away in a moment. And the erosion that would have happened in perhaps 100 years happened really in a night. And that's what's happening with the pandemic, the erosion of attendance that we saw in the church, some of the pre-existing trends where many churches were going to close and some people leave the ministry. That has happened in a few months. So really, as we look at this passage uh, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, this talking about foundations is absolutely really where we're at at this moment. 
Much of the structures seem to be being deconstructed at this time, and it's a foundational moment. And often as I'm preaching into this camera, my sort of inner thought is, who is out there? Where are you? And if you're watching, there's this sense where you're part of the people who God is inviting in to be his foundation in the next thing that he is doing. One of the things that I've heard and been advised by multiple people, both friends who have reopened, uh, uh, various leaders that I look to, is that you have to think that what we are doing is when we begin to meet again in person, you're not restarting. There's no pause button that we release from what happened at the beginning of this year. We're not restarting, we're replanting. And I would also add that we're also being reformed and renewed. So the reforming, the replanting, the renewing must be done on the right foundations. So many of the discussions that will come, what is the balance between digital and in-person? How do we kick off services again? What does people want in this new season where many of us have gotten used to the fact of the convenience of digital church when some people have left away and moved away from church. There are churches that were large and strong who have found themselves coming back and are much smaller. All of these engender a whole bunch of discussions of what we should look like when we come back. But I want to go to the foundation. What we look like when we come back That's really what the frame or the buildings or the windows look like. But the foundation is essential to get right. There were some rather disturbing statistics that I've just laid out for you all there. But one of the really interesting unexpected good news stories that came out of the research in Australia done by McCrindle Research is that around 84% of Christians in Australia during this time of the pandemic and not being able to meet in person like we normally do, have actually taken responsibility for their own faith. And this is an essence of what it is, something we've been exploring of living life in the spirit is taking responsibility for our own faith. And I believe this is one of the foundational things that God has deposited in this time. So this is where I want to end this series of what God is renewing, empowering in us, but what he's reforming in us. I think one of the gifts of this season is the lesson of the importance of taking responsibility for our faith. Now, it's really key to get the nuance right here. Responsibility is not a word that we naturally feel warm about or drawn to. And in many ways, we can get responsibility wrong when it comes to our spiritual life. So it's really key to dive into what we exactly mean by this. One of the ways that we can get this wrong is through taking a posture of our spiritual life of introspection. Introspection is looking inward. It's seeing and taking responsibility for doing only what God, sorry, let me start that again. Introspection is taking responsibility for doing what only God can do in you. You can't spiritually reform yourself. We can't save ourselves. We can't change ourselves spiritually. There are lots of things that we can do to make us feel like we're doing that. Endless Christian practices, personality profiles, endless examining of ourselves. But only God can change us. 
So there's this sense where we can get stuck in this almost works-driven understanding of responsibility where we fear this, hear this sermon and hear the word responsibility and feel like, oh man, I'm just saying, Mark, I just got to work harder in my own spiritual life. I'm not saying that. Another way that we can get this wrong is an attitude or a posture of entitlement. Entitlement is expecting others to take spiritual responsibility for what you're called to take spiritual responsibility for. And in many ways, one of the real questions of this time is, I think entitlement is being brought clearly into the light when the ability of churches to step in and do stuff for other people and in a sense sometimes take responsibility for other people's growth has been broken at this time. Another way that this sort of almost links to the next one is paternalism, paternalism, where you take responsibility for what only God can do in others. That friend who you feel like you've got to drag them along and always try and feel like you're responsible for their spiritual growth, where there's this sense that you may get to, like, do they really want to take responsibility for their growth? That element where even as a parent, Maybe with an adult child, there's that sense that you're not called to take spiritual responsibility for them anymore. There's encouragement. There's ways to minister to people. But sometimes we can be carrying a spiritual load for other people that we're not called to. And there's actually a lot of pastors. This is actually a lot of churches where an almost codependent relationship has, I think, been exposed in the pandemic. where. In the beginning of that chapter, which we read from in Corinthians, where you've got a congregation, which Paul says, you should be eating meat now, you should be spiritually mature, taking responsibility for your spiritual growth, but you're still infants drinking milk at this time. And there's plenty of pastors and Christian leaders who feel an affirmation giving the milk that people want. And you get into this cycle where you're giving them what they want, but no one's growing. And it's actually destructive. The last one is judgmentalism, which is having opinions on areas you have no spiritual responsibility for. So this is where you don't have responsibility, but you've got plenty of opinion and thought, and you're willing to broadcast that of what other people should be doing with their spiritual responsibility. Aussies are really good at this. We are brilliant at pointing out what everyone else is doing wrong. This can even creep in with the pandemic in the sense that as Australia has done relatively well, it's easy to look at other countries, not realizing that perhaps we have some inherent strengths because of our geography, because of our political culture. This can also be really true in the church. And I think part of the reason that stat, that so many pastors are currently rethinking their employment as pastors is because there is almost a torrent at this point in time, particularly often delivered through social media of what leaders should be doing at this time, but speaking to areas into which people have no spiritual responsibility. So what are our areas of spiritual responsibility? All of us are able to exercise our will in various areas of life. You are responsible for yourself. You may be responsible for your household, family, friends, relationships, your vocation the church, the world. And so much of spiritual health 
is actually understanding where those borders of what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for begin and end. Friendships can go wrong when these lines are blurred. Children cannot develop when parents want to keep taking responsibility or perhaps don't take responsibility. At work, there's all kinds of disputes when people get confused over where does the responsibility lie. That's also true in the church. So I want to offer a biblical model of what it looks like to actually understand what it is to take responsibility for our faith in a healthy, biblical way that doesn't come from guilt or compulsion, doesn't come from laziness or passivity, but actually comes from a spirit communing with God's spirit, being led by him. And I want to refer to something actually from the Old Testament in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 29. The first passage that we refer to in Corinthians, Paul used this temple language, talking about the foundation of the temple. The temple was the meeting place with God, where God's power and presence was on the earth, his embassy, if you like, the overlap between heaven and earth. And what has happened leading up to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 29 is that Israel and the people of God have been overtaken by unfaithfulness. This is a moment of spiritual decline. This is a moment of deep spiritual toxicity. The lines of where people should take responsibility for have completely gone out the window. People are not taking responsibility for their own faith. They become negligent in the worship of God, the respect of his word, of, of, of following and obeying him. They put responsibility for their own well-being over idols and expecting idols to actually take responsibility for them, these things of stone and wood with spiritual entities behind them and find themselves spiritually entrapped. The priesthood who are actually meant to have a responsibility leading the people are not fulfilling that responsibility. And Israel has had a series of kings responsible for the people of God who have ignored their responsibility as leading the people and leading the nation. But into this mix comes a young king, but Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is different. In a moment of decline and spiritual toxicity, all it takes is one person to say yes to God, a young man, only 25. And so the first thing that changes this story after this period of unfaithfulness is that Hezekiah decides to take responsibility for his faith. And he does this at a time of great unfaithfulness, going in a different direction. The scripture says this, 29 verse 1. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Now listen to this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now I want to emphasize those words. He did what was right, not according to his own concept of responsibility, not according to what other people thought, not according to the mores and atmosphere of the day, which was unfaithfulness. He did what was right according to the eyes of the Lord. 
he understood God's calling of him of how to live as a human being first. Before even the kingly stuff, he did what was right in the small places. And this echo, this this memory that was in his lineage back to his father David again gets reunited. David, who loved God, who was a man after God's own heart, who was this great king of Israel. It starts again. And it starts again when someone takes responsibility, but not their definition of responsibility, God's definition of responsibility. It begins with the decision. And what has happened this year as the pandemic has hit and I'm speaking to those still watching because the people still watch and are not watching have turned off at this point. But if you're still watching all these months later, you're making a decision. And I want to encourage you to keep making that primary decision that I'm going to press in even in moments of difficulty, even when you're sitting there and part of you just wants to be with people and it's been difficult. And maybe you haven't even watched for the last two months, but today you turn back on. Keep pressing in. Keep making that decision to take responsibility for your faith in what the eyes of God have called you to. Hezekiah, second point, took responsibility for what God had given him responsibility for. He had his personal decision to say yes to God, to say no to the line of unfaithfulness, to tell a different story with his life and be responsible for what God was asking in his personal life, to be a person of character and ethics and obedience and following God. But he also had a bigger responsibility. What was his role in life? He wasn't an ordinary person. He was the king. And before God, he was given responsibility for a kingdom. Now, unless we have quite an amazing person tuning in today from your royal palace and that you actually are a king or perhaps a queen, and welcome if you are, most of us don't have that expansive set of responsibility. But all of us have responsibility. You may be in charge of people at work. You may be looking after some children that are you're responsible for. You may just be responsible for how you conduct yourself at your high school. Doesn't matter who you are, everyone has a responsibility over a certain area of their life. Relationally, who you make decisions over as a citizen of Australia. If you're a citizen of if you're a citizen of Australia, you have a responsibility. All of us have areas of responsibility. And so the second part of saying yes to God is saying, yes, first part, yes, I'm going to take responsibility to do what is right in your eyes, in my personal life, to decide, decide to say yes. The second part of this is doing what Hezekiah said, is deciding to say yes in all the areas that you're responsible for, your relationships, your workplace. I want to read the scriptures. This is such a fascinating verse. Verse 3, in the first month of the first year of his reign, when does he do this? This is a man who is determined to say yes to God and take responsibility in the areas that God has given him responsibility for. He does this in the first month and in the first year of his reign. What does he do? He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Deeply symbolic. The 
temple, as we established, is this embassy of God's presence and power in the world. This is where he speaks to his people. This is where his people worship and sacrifice. And the doors have been shut. True worship has not been occurring. People have not had communication with God. And this young man, 25, says yes, and then takes responsibility. He's the only one who could go and open those doors. He doesn't even delegate it. He goes and does it himself and takes responsibility and leads from the front and actually opens those doors. He's not just opening a set of doors that have been left in disrepair. He's opening up through his saying yes to the responsibility of what God is calling him in the areas that God has made him responsible for to a whole new spiritual future for his nation. He then gathers all the priests. This becomes infectious. These are the people he's leading. There is a domino effect here as he says yes in his personal life. As personal renewal leads to corporate change, that then flows outwards. He opens the doors. And as those doors are opened, the priesthood must be activated again. And so the third point is Hezekiah and the priests gather and consecrate themselves. They consecrate themselves, offering themselves as living sacrifices. Verse 4 says this, He brought the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side of the temple, and said to them, Levites, listen to me. Consecrate yourself now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Consecrating is saying yes to the responsibility of giving your whole life to God. This is a group of people who are saying, yes, I take responsibility and I take responsibility for every inch of me, all my thoughts, all my body does, all my will, all my actions, all my possessions, everything. I want to consecrate and give that over to you, God, to make myself a living sacrifice. Before sacrifice could happen in the temple, first that living sacrifice of their lives had to be given. The next thing is really key. We have a young man, 25, who said yes. The doors are then opened. The priests have come in and been reassembled and saying yes and consecrating themselves. But This is a temple in disrepair. This is not only a temple in disrepair. This holy place, which is meant to be consecrated and called separate and be different from the rest of the world in a time of unfaithfulness, has actually been a storage place of unholy things, other objects of worship, which which hurts the heart of God. And so the priests cleaned house. This is like when you get a skip. Here at the church building uh, or the church offices in Orchard Grove, there's a bunch of stuff that needed to get cleared out. And last week, a skip was ordered and a bunch of the team filled a bunch of stuff that needed to be taken out of our church building. And it was cleaning house time and the skip comes. Now, I don't know if that skips uh, at this time in the ancient world, but this is essentially what happened. Verse 16, the priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify. First, they got purified through consecrating themselves. 
Now they're purifying the sanctuary. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean that they found in the temple of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out into the Kidron Valley. A cleaned house. Again, seeing what they're responsible for as priests, they're responsible for the upkeep of the functioning and the holiness of the temple. What if we're at a similar moment? What at, at this moment where everything stops? Well, we're down to bare bones. We're down to a foundation. This is church, me speaking to you, this digital format, you speaking to someone on FaceTime in your huddle, you going and meeting people at a park. Church stripped back for a period of time to its absolute foundation. What if this is also a moment of cleaning house? And I don't know if you're noticing it in the world that there is actually a bunch of cleaning house that is happening in the house of the Lord across the world at this point in time. Where things that are toxic are now coming into the light. And so this is actually a moment to ask the question, what don't we want to come back? We don't want entitlement. We don't want judgmentalism. We don't want over-self-introspection. We don't want paternalism. What we want is holiness. What we want is understanding what we're responsible for, what God can do. God is cleaning house at this point in time and inviting us to step into that. After they had carried this unholy things out to the Kidron Valley, after the temple had been made clean, they then again stepped into another kind of responsibility. They sacrificed what they had. They had, in a sense, given themselves as living sacrifices, but then they sacrificed what they had, consecrating all that there was, that there, let me start again, consecrating all that was their responsibility. You can't sacrifice what is not yours, but you can sacrifice what you're responsible for. Verse 20, early the next morning, after they cleared house, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials. Notice that the city officials now. And they went up to the temple of the Lord. They bought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The king commanded the priests, the descendant of Aaron, to offer these on the altar of the Lord. This is now the people who are responsible for the outer life, outside of the temple, responsible for the culture and politics and social functioning and infrastructure of the city. They're now coming in and they're sacrificing and saying, we put it all before you. They're sacrificing these animals which represent how they get food, their well-being and wealth. They're putting it before God and saying, we're going to put before you that we exercise our responsibility over what we have by putting on the altar before God. And then I love what they do next. After clearing house, after sacrificing, they worshipped. When the offerings were finished, this is verse 29, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. 
and they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worshipped. God can do immeasurably more than what we can. We are mere humans. God is God. Understanding what his responsibility is, which is immense in the world, what our responsibility is, where we actually understand our weakness. But one thing we're responsible for is to then respond with our hearts in worship and praise and thanks and utter gratitude for what he's done for us. This week, as we began to ask the question, what would it look like to come back? And again, we don't know what it looks like. So many different things can happen. There could be new outbreaks. But if we were to come back in some sort of in-person gathering at some point next year, we began to ask the question, what would that look like? It's very possible that we might not be able to hang around afterwards. It's very possible we might not be able to have tea and coffee. It's very possible that the community side of church, which we're used to and circulating, maybe that's going to have to happen in other parts and other times. Maybe when you begin to think about it, that we can do the preaching through this, that we can do teaching, we can do discipleship through huddles. But maybe what church is going to look like when we come back in a physical form, at least in 2021, is actually just going to be worshipping. Making it all about God, not us. Where church isn't set up as something with all these little extra elements which are great and nothing wrong with the coffee or the welcoming or the hanging around afterwards. But it's very possible that 2021 is going to be a time where church is stripped back and it's literally us praising God. I've spoken to friends overseas in some countries where they can't even sing. Where literally you've got a four meter square and you go to church and you can't even really speak to other people, but it's literally you quietly singing in your heart. I think God in the midst of this is teaching us to fully worship for him, not for a feeling or an experience, but actually as an overflow, a responsibility or built as humans to actually worship God. And what if in the midst of this, we came back and we actually rediscovered what a true devoted culture of worship was? What an incredible thing that would be. Lastly, they partnered with God in the renewal and reformation that he wanted to bring to the people of God at that time. Through a young king saying yes, through a priesthood who again took up the mantle of responsibility as priests, a city leadership, the people all coming together, saying yes to God, taking responsibility in the areas that God was calling them to be responsible for and allowing God to do what only he can do in those areas for which he is responsible for. They partnered with God. You do not have to do it all. God wants to do it all. He just wants you as a partner, following behind, doing what your responsibility is in his eyes as an individual and as a church. And I love this, verse 35. To end the chapter. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. Church, in a few months, was radically disrupted in the entire world. How we used to do church 
has radically changed and may not come back. And this has happened so quickly. And this term that keeps getting used is things have accelerated. All these trends have accelerated. But what if the trend that God wants to accelerate at this time is actually a reformation and a renewal? And that we're called to step into this and say yes to this moment. This moment when 84% of Australian Christians have realized that we have to take responsibility for our faith. What a moment. What an invitation. This is a reformation built on a solid foundation, which Paul said is Jesus Christ, who can do it all, has done it all, who sacrifices so you don't have to, you just have to take responsibility and place on the altar before him daily, taking up your cross, partnering with him in the reformation and renewal that he wants to bring in the world. I can't resist this verse. It's in the next chapter, chapter 30, verse 27. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. I don't know what church looks like when we come back in 2021 at this stage. We'll work it out. But what if it was a people who had taken a new kind of responsibility for the renewal and reformation that God wants to bring in his world and whose prayers whether that's in lounge rooms, watching the digital stream in a park, in a smaller group of people, in a new in-person worship service, wherever, whatever. What if the important thing was there was something so devoted and renewed and reformed that those wonderful element of their prayers reaching heaven, God's dwelling place, and God looking on us with a smile on his face as something again new begins in his church at Red for Australia and all around the world. God, we thank you for the invitation of this moment. We recognize that we have no idea what church looks like on the other side of this, but that you're renewing and you're reforming us. Father, I want to pray for the people who find themselves stuck, almost in an over-responsibility of introspection, continually anxious, worrying if they've done the right thing, gazing at personality profiles, wondering how many more spiritual practices do they need to instigate in their lives to get there. Father, I pray that you will show them how you want to just actually take responsibility, that you want to accelerate them and your Holy Spirit wants to break out in their life and move them forward. Father, I just want to pray any unhealthy ties where people have felt that other people need to take responsibility for them in ways with their spiritual growth, that actually it's the time to move from milk to meat. Father, I want to pray for the ways in which sometimes we can, as leaders, as the church, maybe even just people in the congregation who are taking responsibility for others' faith, help us to drop clear boundaries knowing where we begin and where they end and what you, the Father, can do in their lives. And Father, as Aussies who are so good, cutting down tall poppies, often with the criticism, lots of opinion, Monday's armchair coaches. Father, help us to be responsible for what you've called us to be responsible for. Help us to not have opinion for that responsibility. Help us instead to be people who champion and encourage and call out what you're doing in other people and celebrate that, we pray in your name. And Father, 
renew us and reform us, us, the living temple of your church. We pray in your name. Amen.